0: When I was in middle school. My mom used to, of course, drop me off for school, and she would say uh, these rather confounding words pretty often to me and my brothers when she dropped us off. She would say this Don't let anyone steal your joy. Those were her words. And they were words I didn't really understand very well when I was 13 years old, as you can imagine. Uh, you might have uh, had that encounter with a a teenager, or you might be thinking, if you are a teenager, uh, don't let anyone steal your joy. How can I do that? At that age, I couldn't think of many places with less joy, in fact, uh, for me than the public middle school that I went to. That's why mom's words remained mysterious, as many good mothers' mysterious words remain mysterious to their children. See, joy came and evaporated in a way that was rather difficult to understand. I had friends and a few joys, but the joys soon vanished after they came. So, in my young brain, I rejected the idea that it was possible to have joy all the time. That it was even a possibility to rejoice in difficult circumstances. Now, I tell that story, and maybe you also have stories of times in your life that were somewhat difficult. Maybe you're in the middle of one right now that wouldn't be altogether surprising considering we're living in a very different world than we were just a year ago. This pandemic has caused a lot of suffering. Many of us have lost loved ones. Some, many more, have lost jobs. And we've all lost some part of the lifestyle that we had before this whole thing. At a very minimum, you're all wearing masks right now. All of this, brothers and sisters, those times of difficulty, They can cause us to do what I did all those years ago, to reject that it is possible to rejoice at all times. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, that's an untenable position. St. Paul is really clear today. He says, live always joyful. Rejoice at all times. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks even on every occasion. And in that entrance antiphon that I sang this morning, which is where we get the word Gaudete Sunday, that's why I'm wearing this color today. St. Paul commands. It's not a suggestion. He commands you and I. To rejoice. Rejoice. Right? I shall say it again, brothers and sisters. Rejoice. For the Lord is near. It's not a suggestion for a Christian to rejoice at all times. It's a command. It's part of who we are as Christians. But we run into suffering. Right? We find ourselves in the midst of suffering often whether it's big or whether it's little, whether it's objective or whether it's subjective. We run into it all the time. So how can we explain or how can we solve this problem? How do St. Paul's words have true meaning for us? Because they're meant to have meaning for you and I. I think it helps to remember this. When St. Paul wrote the words that he wrote in 2 Thessalonians and in Philippians, He was in the midst of persecution himself, receiving persecution in the case of 2 Thessalonians. And in Philippians, where that entrance anaphon comes from, he was in prison. The man was in prison. St. Paul wasn't living in an ideal world any more than you and I live in an ideal world. He wasn't an idealist. He lived in a world with suffering, and he suffered himself. And all of that gives his words more power for you and me. He wrote to his loved ones from jail, knowing that he probably would never see them again. And his message is, seems so strange to us. His message is, rejoice, rejoice. The letter to the Philippians, if you read it, it's so beautiful. Over and over and over again, he says it. Rejoice. Brothers and sisters, how can we rejoice like St. Paul? First, with him, we have to admit that indeed we are prisoners. Our prisons can be sins, that we choose, they can be addictions, bad habits, it can be our weaknesses, but also we frequently suffer the effects of original sin, like physical illness and mental illness. We also suffer the effects of other people's sin. Right? Sin in our society causes a lot of trouble. You look around, it's evident. The sins, they imprison us. We too, in a sense, are imprisoned. But still, with St. Paul, we have to rejoice. And what have we to rejoice about? It's this. However difficult the situation we find ourselves in may be, the Lord is already close. The Lord is near. He is already with us. He is come. And at the same time, he will come. Rose, in which I am dressed today, is the color of dawn, brothers and sisters. It's the color of dawn that rises after a long, cold night. And with dawn comes a promise. Dawn promises midday. Dawn promises midday with the fullness of light and warmth. It promises a breaking of chains, a bringing out of prisoners. Brothers and sisters, And although those things are not obvious to us at every moment, because we have seen the dawn, we know the day is coming. In fact, in a sense, the day is already here. The light which dawns on the horizon gives us hope. See, for a Christian still on For you and I, right, on our journey walking through what the Salve Regina calls the Valley of Tears, joy and happiness ultimately derive from hope. The Christian doesn't hope or wait on a particular thing in this world, but on the dawn who has already dawned, on Christ Jesus our Lord. Hope is the firm determination to go, to turn ourselves and face east, to greet him who comes, to greet the son of man who is the savior, the heavenly savior for whom we wait. See, hope doesn't just reach out to the future and say, I want that thing now. It changes the way you live now. And that's how St. Paul can say, Rejoice always. I shall say it again, rejoice. Because the hope that which we have in Christ Jesus our Lord is not something which can be taken away from us. Hope changes us now while directing us to the future. In fact, by directing us to the future, it changes how we live now. The Holy Eucharist, which we're about to celebrate, it is the sign and sacrament of that hope. In the Eucharist, we already have heaven. It's the dawn breaking into your world, brothers and sisters, into my world. In it, in fact, the Lord is near. He is present here, in this place, for you and for me. He did not abandon us. He is already here. Brothers and sisters, even though we are and we may remain in our prisons, we can have joy because the Lord is here. In these days of Advent, we've been asking the question, or at least I've been asking the question in my prayer, how do we wait? How do I wait? Advent's a time of waiting. We don't get to choose, brothers and sisters, whether or even how long we wait, but we do get to choose how we wait. And we wait because we're human, but the way we wait It determines whether we flourish or whether we fail as human persons. How we wait as Christians matters because it determines whether we will be able to receive Him with joy when He comes or whether that day when He comes will be a terrible day. We wait as Christians with our eyes fixed on heaven because we need a heavenly Savior. We wait together Because we are and will be saved together and we wait with joy because the Lord is near. What my mom told me all those years ago, it's a true statement, right? It's a a possibility. It's really something that we can live from. Don't let anyone steal the joy that you have in Christ Jesus, your Lord. No one can do that. You have to let that happen. The dawn has broken upon us. We can reject it with sins. We can turn our back on the dawn and look into the bleak night of sin and death, or we can turn towards the dawn and filled with hope, go to meet the Lord. How do we wait? We wait with joy. We wait with joy. We wait joyfully with eyes fixed on heaven because we need a heavenly Savior and He will save us together. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.